Well, good morning. It is good to see you. Let me welcome you to First Baptist Church. And we are really glad that you're here. Um, if you'll look in your worship guide, there's a couple things for you to be involved in. The backpack ministry, we need to make sure we take care of those um, items that they need. Also, a new DU class is coming around the corner, and then um, the fall festival is coming up as well. It's hard to believe it's already time to start talking about fall festival. And then the second Sunday of August, it's not in here, I mean August, October, second Sunday of October will be the um, um, church picnic. And we'll say more about that, but just put it on your calendar. Second Sunday of October will be at Shaco Springs and we'll gather and just have a good time. But we're glad you're here. Are you ready to worship today? Are you ready to worship today? All right. Thank you. All right. Well, you won't believe what I heard happen a couple weeks ago. Somebody in this service asked somebody to get out of their seat. You won't believe that that would happen in our church. So you know what today is? That's, that's not your seat Sunday. I'm serious. I want you to get up, move around and greet some folks, but change seats. I want you to move out of the seat that you're in to be reminded, not your seat. So move around. I hadn't done it in a long time. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry to do that, 
but no, I'm really not. Um, but I just want to remind you that um, one of the worst things you could do to somebody who's a guest in the church is to ask them to move out of the seat. Um, now listen, I love you, and I'm not chastising you. I, I, this is a fun way to remember it. But um, none of these seats belong to any of us, and, and nobody, if you want to sit in a place nobody will ever go, sit on the front row. And, uh, and, and, but uh, but it, it's just a good reminder. Um, you never know what our guests, when they're here, you may not know they're a guest or someone else, they may be very introverted and, 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 and you have no idea what it took for them to get into this place. And, and so just, I, I'm, it, it's a rare thing that it happens, but when it does happen, I'm going to remind you that that's not your seat. And if you're a guest, we want you here. You, I hope you didn't feel like you had to move, the rest of you. Uh, and if and for some reason today, you're in a seat that someone told you it was their seat, just turn around and say, it's my seat today. And uh, so just, just remind, I'm glad you're here. I really am. And um, let's just be reminded that what we say and what we do in the welcome time, the times before, the times after, after church has a huge impact on whether people come to our church and feel comfortable or not. And we want them to come. The only thing I want for people to feel uncomfortable with in, the, in our service is if they're convicted under the Word of God. That's the only time I want people to feel uncomfortable is if the Word of God is convicting them. Amen? Well, I'm glad you're here. Um, now that you're getting settled, um, it is weird to have the butler right on the front row. But, um, <laughs> I'm going to regret that in a little while, I think. But, um, but especially Betty, she just glared at me. I could just feel it. So, uh, <laughs> Lisa wasn't last week, right? So, uh, you go back and sit down. Sit there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we want you to stay there the whole service, Betty. Let's get to something. Let's go to the call to worship. Would you join me with this? Let's read this loud together like we mean it. You ready? And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, read it loud, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for each person who has gathered here in this room this morning, for those who are watching at home, for those who have just finished worship in Sunday school and the other service and are now going home. God, I thank you for this church. And I thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to be the pastor here for my brothers and sisters. And, and God, I thank you for those who are gifted here in music, music. And Kim and the guys as they lead us for the guys who are doing the sound and even the, the live stream, I thank you for all the different components that help us worship you. But God, most of all, no lights, no sound, no chairs, nothing else, not even a building comes over you. You're worthy of our worship. And we want to worship you as you deserve to be worshiped today. So as we 
are reminded from your word, through the reading of your word, as we sing your word, as we pray and as I come to the word and preach, and then as we respond to that and give, give of our lives, give of our hearts, give of our finances, give of every aspect. We want you to be glorified. So be glorified today, Lord. Please manifest yourself in, our, in this room with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Dr. Zeiger is going to come and read our scripture. And I'm going to move over here to this other seat today. Good morning. I'm reminded that nothing I have is mine. It's all his. We're just stewards, so everything belongs to him. May we be good stewards. Our reading this morning is from Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dr. Zeiger. Let's stay in church. Let's continue to worship as we really think about heaven today and the longing of Christ. That's where I want us just to fix our attention as we wait for his return. And oh, what a glorious day. Man, it's going to be amazing. Let's sing about his goodness, his faithfulness, his grace, and the fact that we just want to long for his coming.
Father God, that is our prayer. Today, God, that you would open up the heavens, Father, that you would just open up the floodgates, God, so we can see you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, I pray that you would convict us today in those areas that we need to be convicted. Father, that you would challenge us today in the places that we need to be challenged. And Father, that you would encourage us by your word today. God, my prayer for each one of us is that we would long for you in a way that we've never longed for you before. God, help us to long for your coming and help us to live in such a way that your bride is ready for her bridegroom. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are in our lives. God, you are the love of our lives. In Jesus' name.
God, God of the host, holy, 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 creator of everything, sustainer of everything, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. you're all present means you're here. You're in us, those who are saved. You're in this room. You're wherever we find ourselves. And Lord, I know we live in a culture that scoffs at your return, Jesus. But we don't. We long for that day where you will take us by the hand and we will see you. We will see your face. But until that time comes, whether you come for us through our own death or if we are here in your second coming, until that time, there's much to be done and there's much that we endure. And I know that there are those even today, who are hurting. I know there are those who are facing cancer treatments. There are those here who are facing the loss of loved ones. There are those who who just have needs that you know about and maybe a few people know, but many would never know. And yet they're sitting here today. I thank you that they're here. And I pray that you'd speak to them this morning. That you'd speak to us. And that even as we just sing that song, that we would indeed be a bride ready, ready for the coming of the groom. The church is your bride. Jesus, you're the groom. We long for your return. Help us now as we come to your word. Help us to understand it and speak to us clearly through it, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let me invite you to turn 
open your Bibles to the book of James. You've been there for a while. But James chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 7 through 9. Um, just to give you an idea, um, the last Sunday of October will be a combined worship service. We'll be in here. We'll do what we did last time. We'll have a time of prayer and worship and lead us up to the, to the communion table. So it'll be a, just a day of worship and prayer leading up to communion. And then the first Sunday, the Sunday before that, I will finish the book of James if the Lord is willing and, and things don't change. And then hopefully the first Sunday of November, we'll begin the study of the book of Colossians which is one of my favorite books. Um, I say that about every book I study, but I've been praying through Colossians and preaching. Um, I'm looking forward to preaching through it. I've never preached through Colossians and never taught through it here either. James, I've taught through years ago, but um, not, not the book of um, Colossians. And so I just encourage you to start reading it. And, um, you know, it's, there's four chapters. Read a chapter a day for the next several weeks as we get ready to get it in your mind and in your heart as we study it. But we're not finished with James yet, and I'm excited to turn to this passage because James has been whipping us for the last several weeks, and, and we get to get some practical um, application, and, and, and it's really, really good stuff. And so if you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word and the preaching of His Word. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9 will be on the screen, and then I'm going to read verses 10 and 11 so that we can get the context for next week also. James says, be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And then for next week, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So let me start with confessing something, not like last week that I shared some intimate moment with you, but, but let me start by, um, by, by confessing something, and I did, I almost did, and I didn't do it, but I almost did it. I got to this passage, and I was studying and getting ready to preach, and, and, and to be honest, I could not wait to jump into the commands where he tells us to be patient and to establish our hearts and show you that the Lord is coming soon, and, and I was ready, almost ready to, to preach the sermon before I'd even studied it, but the problem is I was about to do it in a way that I tell you not to do it week after week, and that is I was about to do it outside of the context of the book of James. I was just going to lift that passage up and preach that passage and, and give it to you, but, but, it, 
But we have to learn, as I've been trying to show you in James, is to look at the context of the scriptures. And that's your very first point, is to look at the context. So the, the Spirit just kind of checked me and said, do you remember what you tell everybody? Um, let's, let's go back to the context and let's be reminded. And, and two things about the context. First, I want you to see the context of the entire book. James is coming full circle when we come to verse 7. He started in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And you will see next week, he said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who gives it to, to all who ask. And so, but he's coming full circle. He began by talking to us about trials and how we deal with trials. And how we're to count it all joy when we face them because they produce something. They produce endurance. They produce a life that is perfect, that's mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And, and here he comes back to the trials. And he shows us that, that patience brings fruit. Patience brings fruit. And I want you to get this. The fruit that comes from patience is the pathway to sanctification and spiritual maturity. The fruit that comes from patience is the pathway. It's the pathway to being holy and being spiritually mature. We see that in this text and next week. In chapter 1, verse 12, he speaks of the crown of life. And here he tells us that Jesus is coming that his coming is at hand, and that he's standing at the door. And he gives us a goal for living. He says, here's how you live in this. You, you're to live like the farmer who, who waits on the harvest and, and, and who ultimately receives compassion and mercy. James come full circle. That's the entire book context. But then let's look at the immediate context of what he's saying. It's vital that we see this because in chapter 5, where we saw last week, verses 1 through 6, James shows us the oppression of those who are wealthy who are oppressing the believers in the church. I told you that I believe that this is a group of people outside the church for the first time in James. That he's addressed wealthy people in the church, but, but here he's addressing people who are, not, who are wealthy but not Christians. And because there's no hope of sanctification or no hope of salvation here. It's just wrath and judgment in verses 1 through 6. And so he, he's writing to people who are under that oppression. And what he says is, here's how you respond to the testing of your faith. Here's how you live when you're being persecuted. James tells them in our text that, that I want you to, here's another statement. It's not in your outline, but, but get this. The circumstances that call for patience, the circumstances that call for patience are the very things that bring it. The circumstances that call for patience are the very things that bring patience. The things that are driving you crazy and calling you to be patient in the midst of are the things that bring you patience. And that's why we always say, well, don't pray for patience because you know crazy things are happening. But yes, do pray. And so we look at verse 7. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, 
until the coming of the Lord. Now, just look at that real quick. Be patient, therefore. You see that word, therefore? It's based on what he said in verses one through six. Because of that oppression, be patient. So it's, it's, it's the context that we've got to see. But the second thing James gives us is, and it's just two points today, it is, is three commands. Three commands, and you see it already. The very first one is be patient. Be patient. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Let me say it again. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You, if you are a child of God, have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says, if the Spirit's not in you, you don't belong to Jesus. So if you're saved, the Spirit's in you. If the Spirit of God's in you, you have patience. You have it. We have patience. Should we say it out loud together? Say it. We have patience. I didn't say you always are patient. I'm not always patient. Left hand, left lane slow drivers drive me crazy. Do you know, I was telling Robert, I passed a state trooper on the interstate who was driving in the left-hand lane slower than the speed limit. And I was hoping he'd pull me over. I would gladly have paid the ticket so that I could have said, you broke the law by driving slow in the left-hand lane. He just waved at me and I drove on. But (laughs) you and I, if the Spirit is in us, have patience. Tell your husband that. We have patience. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, as you might guess, be patient is a command. It's in the imperative. And patience, it's it's distinctly a Christian virtue. The Greeks didn't look at it. Romans didn't look at patience as a virtue. Writers go back and look in the the history of James' day and Jesus' day and the early church's days. They didn't use the word patience as a virtue at all. But Christians made it a virtue. It's, it's, let me just kind of define it. Patience is, is the self-restraint that does not hastily retaliate a wrong. Stephen Cole said that. It is, it is the self-restraint that does not hastily retaliate a wrong. It's a fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. We'll go all the way back to one of the first sermons I preached this year in the book of Galatians. Paul says in Galatians, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A little later in that passage, he tells us to to walk in the Spirit. And then he tells us to live in the Spirit. And then he tells us to keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul says that if the Spirit of God is in you, the Christian life is like this. It's it's that you're filled with him daily. You are to live in him. You're to walk in him. And as you walk, you keep in step with him. 
Just like the military, that's literally you march in, in, in rank, and that's what it means. As you're walking, the Spirit is the one who's calling out the cadence and telling us how to live our lives. So let me just say this. If, if patience is an issue in your life, and let's just be honest, it's probably an issue in everyone in this room, including me's life. If it's an issue, then start with your walk in the Spirit. Because the more that we're filled with the Spirit, the more patient we will be. He gives us an example. The farmer plants the crop. What does he do? He waits for the harvest. He plants the crop. He waits for the harvest. And it takes patience. In this passage, James mentions the early rain and the late rain. And their harvesting and their cultural, agricultural days, the early rain came around a little later now in October. The early rain would prepare the soil that was a hard and arid soil. They, they would be able to be able to plow it and plant it. And then not only did the early rain help them plow it, make it easier to put the seed in, but it also, because it was wet, caused the seed to be able to germinate. And so the farmer was dependent upon the early rain to get the seed in the ground and for the seed to be able to germinate. Now, it would rain throughout the winter. Well, we would call winter months over here, but there, different months. And then, then the, 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 the latter rain, the late rain, would come in, in, in March or April. And I'm just told that, that if that rain came, it was supposed to come, as I read, that especially the grain, the heads of the grain would swell they would be more productive and they would have a better crop. And so when you look at this passage, they, the, farmer, the farmer was dependent on both the early rain and the late rain, but in control of neither. He was dependent on both, but not in control of either. And you and I are dependent upon the Holy Spirit, but, but we're not in control of our circumstances. We're not in control of the things that hit us as we're going about the day. We're not in control of the little things that drive us crazy. And when we can learn to see those little things and those big things, those hardships as opportunities, we grow. We grow. That's the point here. It's been as point since chapter 1, verse 4. Be patient. Now look at verse 8. You also be patient. Yes, he repeats himself. It's also a command. Two commands in this verse. You also be patient. Now look, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient. We saw that in verse 7. But now he says, be ready. When he says establish your hearts, that word is speaking of be ready. Be patient until the coming of the Lord, verse 7. And now he says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's an interesting thing when he looks at it. He says, establish your heart. Your, your Bible, you, you may have a different translation that says, strengthen your heart. It's a real interesting word. It comes from the same word we saw back in Luke. And I know that's been a long time ago, but in in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, just write that verse down, Luke 9, 51. I told you that Luke 9, 51 was a pivotal time in Jesus' ministry. Because at the end of Luke 9, 51, it says of Jesus, he set his 
mind. He set his, his, his heart. He set his face, was the ESV. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. That phrase, set his face, is the exact same Greek word as establish your heart. That's the idea. Set your face to it. Establish your heart. Here's what he's saying. And I want you to hear me. Troubles will come. Persecutions will come if you live in the Spirit. Listen to me, church. Tribulation is coming to the church. It's already here, but it's going to get worse. Don't run from it. Don't fight it like the world fights it. Don't lash out against it like the world lashes out against it. Instead, set your heart on Jesus' return. Set your mind on the fact that Jesus is coming again. Be patient. Know that he will right the wrong. Be patient. Know that he will move into your life and that he will take you and glorify you in his presence. And I know that... that Many of our young people didn't grow up with the, the, some of the revival preaching that maybe some of us grew up with. But, but I remember hearing all the time that Jesus is coming and live like he's coming tomorrow. And, and, and it would scare you, but, but a little fear is okay every now and then. So I would just ask you, if you knew that Jesus was coming today, how would it have impacted the way you acted yesterday? That's how we live our lives. We know that he's coming. And so we live our lives like he's really coming. We live like he's going to come and, and take us to be with him. Notice what he said. He says, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's just break that phrase down for a moment. The word coming there is, um, I went back and reminded myself of how to pronounce it um, with Google. And, and, and I put way too much sand mountain emphasis on it, but but. But I would say the word is parousia, okay? Parousia, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A in English. It's not the Greek spell, but that's the English equivalent. That word parousia, the coming, is the most common word in the New Testament for the coming, the second coming of Jesus. But here's the thing. That word's not so much about the second coming of Jesus as it is about the presence of Jesus. And when James uses that word, he's saying to us, Jesus, be patient. Jesus is physically going to be with you one day. It's coming soon. He will appear. It may be in his second coming. It may be through our own death but we will be in the presence of Jesus and he will come alongside of us and we will never be separated from him again. Be patient in the persecution. Be patient in the tribulation. Be patient. Even, even if we live when the Antichrist comes, be patient because Jesus is coming again. And he will bring us into his presence and be with us forever. And he will right the wrong. He says, 
is coming. His presence is at hand. It's at hand. That word literally means it's near. It's drawing near. I, I, I've shared this before, but I remember a couple years, several years ago, hearing some um, comedian, and, and she was talking, and she was talking about Christians and the second coming of Jesus, and she was just mocking it. She says, come on, it's been 2,000 years. I remember turning it off and thinking, man, it's just blasphemy. I'd be afraid to stand before God and say something like that. But let's be honest, sometimes we approach it the same way. We read passages like this, the coming is at hand, it's near, and we think, hey, it's been almost 2,000 years. What's the big deal? Because we think of near as right around the corner. You're hoping that the end of this sermon is near. Okay? I went, to, I went on a hike with KJ yesterday, and, and, um, and, and we went two miles out and two miles back. And it's been a while since I hiked. I, I walk with a treadmill and do those things, but it's been a while since I hiked. And, and on the way back, I knew a certain marker, and I thought, Phew, the car's near. <laughs> She's about to carry me out of there, and she wouldn't be able to do it. It's near. We think of near like that, but, but was, I mean, was James wrong? Were the New Testament writers and Paul and the apostles wrong when they said Jesus is near? I was reading a guy this week, and, and I love C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia and the books that come with that series and, and Tolkien and all that kind of literature. I love that kind of thing, but, but he, he just reminded me of something that I should have known. He, he brought me back to C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. And he said, with Lewis... Kingdom time or heaven time and earthly time are on different spheres. And what he said is, is that kingdom, heavenly time, and earthly time operate with different time scales. And he, he got me thinking. If you've never read the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or watched the movie, there, it's there and set there in World War II, and there are four children, and those four children, um, two brothers and two sisters, are sent out of the city like many of the British people did. They sent their kids out of the city because of the bombings of Germany. And so they were sent out into the countryside, and they went into this real huge house. I think it was an uncle's. And, and, and they were free to play, and they were playing hide-and-go-seek in that enormous house. And Lucy, the youngest of the children, found an old wardrobe, and, and she was going to hide in it. And as she hid in the wardrobe, there were fur coats hanging there, and she started to fall back, and she found herself coming from that world through the wardrobe into another world, Narnia. She finally convinced her brothers and sisters to come and join her. And the whole story is about their, their time from the wardrobe into Narnia. And, and, and the four become kings and queens, and, and they grow. They become great kings of, of Narnia. They, they conquer the White Witch, and, and, and they go through. And, and it's just an enormous, encourage, unbelievable story of, of how they grow. And they become adults in Narnia, and they're, they're, they're riding a horse on, at the end of it coming. And, and they stop, and, and they see this lamppost. It was the same lamppost that that Lucy saw the first time she came through the wardrobe and something in her mind remembered 
And they began to walk through the woods and they found the wardrobe and they stepped back into the wardrobe as these adults who had spent years and years in Narnia, they stepped into the wardrobe and they came back into earthly time and it had just been a couple of minutes. They were no longer men and women, they were boys and girls. And each story is the same. And what Lewis is saying is, is that's the way it is with earthly time and heavenly time. Sometimes we we think about it's just, it's been 2,000 years. But we forget what Peter said about time. Listen to Peter in 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day as, as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Two thousand years in heavenly time is just like two years, two days of earthly time. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Listen to the heart of God, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You see what he's saying? He says the Lord is near. And we're saying, Lord, it's been 2,000 years. And God's saying, you can't wait two days? It's different. And here's what he's saying, is the fact that Jesus hasn't come back, Peter says, the fact that Jesus hasn't come back means there are people for us still to share the gospel with. The fact that Jesus has come back is, is, it means that there are people to be saved that haven't been saved yet. The fact that Jesus hasn't come back means there's work for us to do. But I thought about it this week. Not only is there work for us to do, the fact that Jesus hasn't come back means there's work still for him to do in us. So let's do what he's called us to do. Let's look at the scripture and understand that we we need to be patient and wait on the Lord, but, but we need to be ready. Be ready. Do what he's called us to do. Persecution will come. And he opens the letter by saying, consider it all joy when it does. Opposition will come, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Be patient. Times will grow harder and harder. Be ready. Yes, it's been almost 2,000 years. But we are almost 2,000 years closer than we were when James wrote this. And I know every culture can look back to their history and look back to their times, but If you look at the news and you see what's going on and you see how people are responding to the church worldwide and the persecution that's happening and even what's happening in our own country with beliefs toward the Bible and beliefs toward God, can it be long? Be ready. Be ready for his coming. But then he says in verse nine, do not grumble against one another, brothers, sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Be patient. Be ready. Be holy. Be holy. John MacArthur said the word for grumble 
speaks of a bitter, resentful spirit that manifests itself in one's relationship with others. Bitter, resentful spirit that manifests itself in relationships with others. We've heard it for years. Hard times will make you bitter or better, right? But understand this, hard times and and opposition and persecution in the child of God's life will, will make you bitter, make you grumble, or it'll make you holy. Let the opposition, let the persecution, let those things happen in your life. Let them come and grow through them so that you're holy. Why? Because the judge is standing at the door. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we will face the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now hear me again. I preach on this and people get worried and email me and ask me questions. So let me just try to explain it again. This is not about your salvation as a child of God. If you're a child of God, you are saved. And the moment you're saved, he justifies you. He declares you not guilty of your sin. And he declares you to be righteous with the righteousness of Christ. And when he has that, does that, he begins the process of making you holy like Christ. And as he does that, he moves you toward glorification. So if you're born again, if you've been saved, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. When you stand before the Father, it will not be about whether or not you go to heaven or hell. That is settled through Christ. But we will give an account of what we've done as Christians. We'll answer for what we've done with the things that God has given to us. You simply can't read the parables of Jesus and not see that. Jesus says a man gives his servants 10 talents and five talents and one talent. And what does he do? He comes back to see what you do with the talents. A man plants a vineyard and he goes away and he comes back to his servants. What does he do? He wants to know what did you do with the vineyard? What did you do with what I left you? God is coming back. And when he comes back, we will come into his presence and he'll want to know, what did you do with the talents I gave you? What did you do with the gifts that I gave you spiritually? What did you do with the abilities I gave you? What did you do in our, in our vernacular? What did you do with the platform you've been given? What have you done with it? Did you use it for your glory or for his glory? Did you use it to to further your kingdom or his kingdom? Did Did you shine the light on yourself or did you turn the light on him? Well, answer for that one day. Don't spend your life trying to steal God's glory. Paul David Tripp, in the new book that I'm reading with some guys, he says this, don't be a glory thief. I think it's going to be our next t-shirt. Don't be a glory thief. Don't spend your life stealing the glory that belongs to God. Instead, turn that glory back to him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Listen, live like you know you'll answer for your actions. Because you will. Speak like you know, you'll answer for your words. 
Because as Kim often reminds me, I will. And you will. And we will. Spend like you know. Spend your time, spend your talents, spend your gifts, spend your money. Spend like you know that you'll answer for what you do. Because we will. Next week we will look and see some biblical examples of of how we're to endure and how we're to wait. But but let me just close it this way. Please hang on. I know the notes are done, but don't, don't give up on me yet. The farmer plows in James's day. Maybe he has an oxen. I've seen places in Africa where they still do ox and, and they still plow, but I've also seen mostly women out there with these hoes, the metal part's about this big and the handle's about that long and they're just bent over hoeing the field. They plowed, it was backbreaking work. And then they planted the seed, which was also backbreaking work. And they planted that seed in faith and they waited for the rains. They did what they were supposed to do. They, they did their part and, and they trusted God to provide his part, the, the rain. And, and it's kind of like Paul where he says, I planted an Apollo's water, but God causes it to grow. The farmer does that each time he puts the seed in. Why? Because he knows what it will produce. He knows that there's coming a harvest. There's, there's something about it. You... You can go buy a bag of frozen purple whole peas. You can do that. But if you ever till up a garden, planted purple hulls, weeded them, picked them, shelled them, thumbs purple, purple hulls are cooking, pork chops are fried, cornbread is made. Have you ever feasted on that? There's just something about eating a purple hole when your thumb's purple from the purple hole you planted. A farmer does it because he knows. He knows that the harvest will make it all worthwhile. We're children of God. We plow. It's backbreaking work. Day after day, there's unfallowed ground in my heart that has to be broken up and rocks have to be removed. And we plow in the word of God and we plow when we dig and we water the seed that God plants in us and, and we continue to do it and we share the gospel and we try to make disciples and, and we trust God to make it grow. And, and sometimes we just want to give up and live like everybody else. We pray and we pray and we don't see anything changing, and we wonder if it works. But we keep on. We keep on because every now and then, you get ready to stop, and you look, and you see the, you see the first fruit coming up, and you realize it's working. You're praying for your child, and you think it's not working, and all of a sudden, she says something. And you've been praying for it, and, and God just shows you I'm still at work. You just keep plowing. 
You keep planting seeds. You keep watering it. You keep praying. You stay in the word. Because I promise you one day, God will take you by the hand. And he will lift you into his presence. And you will see him face to face. And I promise you it will be worthwhile. You won't regret one moment of the hard work. If there's a regret in heaven, I think it'll come within the first two seconds that we're there in eternity. When we look at all of that and think, why didn't I do more with what he gave me? But can you see his face? Mm. What a day that would be when our Jesus will see Amen? Keep plowing. Keep working. Listen, be patient. You're going through hard times. It's a struggle. Be patient. Be ready. How do you get ready? Be holy. Be holy. Amen? Let me ask you to bow your heads. I... I asked him and the guys to sing that last song that we just sang, Joe Bob, the last song, to sing it again. Because I just thought it'd be a perfect ending to we'll be a bride ready. You may need to come and pray today. The floor's open for you to come. You may just need to to pray right where you are because there's some areas in your life that you're not ready. There's some habits in your life that Let's just think about it. If, if, if he had come back yesterday, you might not have been ready. So I just want to ask you to think about those things and let the Spirit work in your life and confess that as sin and ask him to forgive you and get ready. Take those steps little by little toward holiness. Father, thank you. Thank you for a way each person's listened to your word and attentively just clued in to what you're saying to us. But now, Holy Spirit, would you speak to all of our hearts and show us what we need to do to walk in your presence and to be holy. Bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. If you need me, I'll be right down here. I'd love to help you in any way I can. Let's stand together and worship.
He's coming. Amen. Until that day, let's be patient. Let's be ready. Let's be holy. All right. God bless you. Now listen, um, 
two of the more important moments in our church's life. And I know, for like example, I'm much more introverted when I'm in a crowd. I don't have a choice of being introverted when I'm a pastor. The Lord doesn't give me that option. But I know sometimes, like, why do we even do those welcomes? Because some people want to be greeted. And sometimes people come in after the service has started and, and they slip out. So make sure you turn around. I know you want to see your friends. I understand that. But let's make sure you turn around for somebody you don't know. Now you're in all in a new seat. So you may not know someone around you today or you just all just, some of you just flip-flop three seats. I saw, I saw what y'all did. I saw that. But, um, but make sure you greet some folks around you. Maybe go eat lunch together if you have time. Do something together as a church. Before you put the chairs up, just greet each other. Guest, I'll be right over here. I'd love to talk to you and help you in any way I can. God bless you. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed. Sorry for throwing you under. <laughs> that was great. I thought that was a